Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Stephen and Brett here uh, from the podcast that you're getting ready to listen to. And we're coming in before you listen to this episode because we got a couple things to let you know about. Right, Brett? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some uh, exciting news. Yeah. Some some exciting things. First news, less exciting, I guess. Um, we recognize uh, that this episode is going to have some serious audio issues. We uh, had some connection problems and Brett, in his wisdom, uh, fix them as best as he could. But hey, I'm, I'm just going to apologize up front. We know uh, we're, we have fixed uh, most of the issues uh, that we have uh, and we're working on improving uh, the rest of them. So we apologize for the for the issues that we have on this episode. Brett, what is the other much more exciting news that we have? Uh, so the more the more exciting news is that we are uh, from this episode onward, we're going to be uh, rebranding to uh, Disenfranchised. Which is the title you had wanted from the beginning of this uh, podcast. It was. It was. And some extenuating circumstances kind of forced our hand to make that happen. So, But hey, we, we got the name that Brett wanted to begin with, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, however, it does mean that all of the information we give you with regard to email and social media at the end of this episode is incorrect. Uh, so we're going to give you the correct information now. Uh, you can actually find us on Twitter at DisenfranchPod. Uh, disenfranch pod that's d-i-s-e-n-f-r-a-n-c-h-p-o-d uh, if you already follow us on twitter after last week's episode then you shouldn't need to change anything you should still be following us but you'll notice our logo and name are completely different and uh, also our email address is now disenfranchpod at gmail.com uh, so if you're able if you still want to get a hold of us please feel free to do so uh, just completely ignore what i say at the end of this episode with regard to um that and uh, look forward to our hard uh, rebrand reboot in episode six, which we're getting ready to record here in a few minutes. Um, Brett, any other exciting news for our listeners before we give them our Alita Battle Angel episode? Uh, no, just uh, look forward to the rebrand. Uh, look forward to um, this episode. Yeah. Oh, and we don't mention it at the end of the next several episodes because we're weird, uh, but go to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and please leave us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. and It would help a lot more people see uh, and, and be able to engage with this podcast. So thank you so much, and uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. Bye. Well, hello. Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to Failure to Franchise. We are a podcast dedicated to talking about those franchises that quite made it out of the starting gate. They, they got their first movie in and didn't do much else. My name is uh, Stephen Foxworthy. I am one of your co-hosts. And look over there. Hey, it's my other co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hi, Stephen. How's it going, man? Uh, You know, it's going all right. We're we're having audio issues, so Brett and I are very frustrated right yeah, now. Yeah, so sorry guys. Once the Rona's over, we'll just record this stuff in person, and then it'll be everything will be great. It'll be a lot more better. But for now, you have to suffer along with us. Uh, Brett's probably suffering a little more than I am. I I don't care as much, but Brett cares a little too much, and that is his curse. Don't don't um, don't worry, guys. Is, I'm gonna I'm gonna be your audio friend. I'm going to make sure this podcast sounds as great as I can. 
And that that is the qualifier, as great as it can, right. because it can only sound so great with our current setup. That's true. Uh, but Brett, Brett's going to make sure that he does everything in his power to make sure that it's not just completely awful. Um, and for that, we thank him. We're, every podcast should have a Brett, but no other podcast does. And for that, I'm grateful. But Brett and I are not here to talk about our audio difficulties or about the difficulties of podcasting remotely. Uh, no, in fact, that is the opposite of why we're here. We're here, in fact, to talk about a film, a movie film, a movie film that was released just last year. Brett, what movie are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about 2019's Alita Battle Angel. Alita Battle Angel. And I know what you're saying, Stephen, Brett, I love you guys. I've, I've only listened to one episode of your podcast, but I think you're great. Uh, I worship you as lesser deities. Uh, you're my best friends. Please come to my wedding. Uh, give my bride away. Um, let's hold off on that first. But I know what you're saying. You're saying, isn't it a little too soon to call this a failed franchise? Because this movie just came out last year. Um it, it, it has a cult following. It was trending on Twitter just last month as of the time of this um, recording and maybe two months ago as of the time that you're listening to this. Um, how can you call this a failed franchise starter in the words that you guys use? And to that I say, we're going to get into it uh, because we are absolutely going to get into it. But before we do that, uh, we've got some stuff to talk about with regard to Alita and what her deal is. And uh, But before we do that, I want to talk to Brett about uh, kind of his history with uh, Alita as a franchise, because it is based on a manga. I'm saying that word right, correct? You are, yeah. Okay. I love comics, but Japanese comics have never been my thing. Um, so it is based on a manga. So, um, Brett, what is your history with manga and uh, anime and Japanese culture in general? Well, first of all, you got you got the pronunciation of manga right, but it, it's anime, not anime. Let me get let me get you on that one. You know, you know what? I just you shut up. Look, uh, hey, it was hey, you're lucky I didn't call it Japanimation because that's what we called it when I was a kid. Uh, damn kids get off my lawn kind of stuff well, sure so, sure yeah. i mean you know that was that was back before it was like a really popular thing um you know back in the early 90s you know you had you had your vampire hunter d you had your ghost in the shell you know you would see a very americanized version of sailor moon maybe on syndicated tv um but that was it in dragon ball z we can't not talk about dragon ball z in that sense I mean, we could. It well, doesn't matter. Sure, but I mean, it, it, it's it's definitely. We're gonna do an episode someday on Dragon Ball Z Evolution. Oof. That's gonna happen. Oh boy, I can't wait for that one. Stay tuned, kids. So you know, it it didn't really become popular. I would I would almost argue that it really didn't become super popular until maybe mid to late nineties um, when Cartoon Network had Toonami, which was which was an afternoon thing on cartoon network and then became a late night thing when it got revived and then after that it really seems i would maybe tag naruto as when anime really blew up um naruto was one of those animes that really caught on with kids in the americas in, in, in case anyone has not picked up on this yet i uh have never really connected with japanese culture as a whole i have only recently started watching films by directors like Akira Kurosawa and uh, Hayao Miyazaki um, and found them to be very good. Um, but by and large, I've not really ever connected with Japanese culture the way that 
a lot of nerds my age really have, and a lot of nerds in general really have. It's just never been where I've planted my nerd flag and watched it flourish. So um, I have I have a lot of nerd cred, but based on probably the last two episodes where I said I didn't like video games and I'm not a big fan of uh, the ephemera of Japanese culture, maybe I'm losing all my nerd cred before this podcast even starts. So well, look, look, Stephen, look, it's your blind spot, right? Like, and that's that's what makes us a good team folks is sure i'm I'm covering the stuff that steven is completely oblivious to and that's why i'm here Brett and i we are nerdy in similar ways but we are also nerdy in very different ways yeah so like for example so, i speaking of being into japanese culture the first time i watched elite battle angel was on the plane to japan humble brag wow i mean it was a little bit of a humble brag sure but that's a great that's, humble brag <laughs> That was that's you know that's indicative of what I'm into, man. And I I really dig Japanese culture, and Japan is a fantastic place to visit. And and I would like to visit sometime. I like to visit lots of different places, um, but it's never like one of those things that I grew up just kind of like wistfully thinking, oh man, I'd love to go there. That's just it was not my. That's not the 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 heart of my nerddom, I guess. Sure, but to get back on track, track track away. There there were definitely. There was definitely a big explosion of, of anime popularity. Although, I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of movie adaptations of anime, I wouldn't say. At least uh, not a whole lot of attempts. Um, because, at least in Japan anyway, they, they like to do their own live-action versions of anime. I've heard of some of those. Yeah. There's one of, like, Lupin the Third, right? There is. There, there's a ton. One of my... Well, not one of my... My favorite anime slash manga is a uh, full metal alchemist and they have a live action movie. But I mean, a lot of that has not seeped into American culture to the extent that our American audiences are really clamoring for a lot of these live action adaptations of this stuff. No, because while it's, it definitely falls into um, what, what I um, jokingly refer to as the professional wrestling paradox where it, it, Please, it is explain. incredibly popular. There are thousands upon millions of fans of anime and manga and professional wrestling, where it gets the name from. Like these fans, these thousands and millions of fans don't seem to exist. I know fans of both of those things. Sure. Uh, very ardent, adamant fans that if you ask them point blank, they would say, Oh, yeah, I love anime. I love manga. I love professional wrestling. Sure. You, um, but you have to ask them like they're yeah, I mean, they're sure. not they're they're not like uh, a marvel comics they're they're not like a doctor who fandom well, and even some of that stuff has become more mainstream in american culture as well to where it's a lot more evident and a lot more obvious i still i still think of anime and manga despite having huge sections in every bookstore i walk into even the used bookstores as still kind of being this weird underground thing um, in a lot of ways, even though I know the fans are all over the place. Yeah, and that's and that's really what I'm getting at. That's that's the sort of paradox where there are these millions and millions of fans, and you see the manga in the bookstores everywhere. And, and this is starting to change a little bit for anime. You, you don't see people proudly displaying their fandom for this stuff. You, do you have a theory as to why that is? Honestly, I think because it's, it's one of those fandoms that is frowned upon. It's looked down upon. During during its heyday in, in the 90s, professional wrestling was popular with everybody. But but before that and after sure. that, 
it was it became you know it's something that only like redneck unintelligent people like um and if, if you're into anime oh you like that tentacle porn is that is that what you're is that what that is um or you you like yeah, you like large-breasted anime girls is that what you're into is that why you look at that stuff so and that's i just i just know the tropes and the memes that's all i know sure. and and that's well that's the thing right that's exactly the problem is most people know the tropes and the memes because they're the most prolific so and you're if you're right. into that culture and you know it you know that's that's not even a fraction of what anime is there's tons of great oh. stories that are being told on a regular basis through the manga and anime style. But most people can't get past the perversion of it, we'll say. And for, it's, for lack of a better for lack of a better word. And I think that's one of those reasons that it's it's kind of one of those things you don't freely admit because you don't want to come off as a weirdo. Hashtag normalize anime. Yeah. Hashtag normalize anime. Now, now, are there some weirdos? Are there some creeps that are really into anime? Sure, but those are in every fandom. So you know, you can't you can't blame it on them. Fair, that's fair. I mean, the bad apples ruin it for everybody because those bad apples spoil the whole bunch. Right. Exactly. That's what that is. That's what that means. So, all right. Well, I mean, so you personally, then after kind of we've you've given us kind of this your theory on manga and anime. Uh, what is your history? You, so you, you mentioned your history with Alita. You didn't watch this until you were flying to Japan last year. Right. Um, but what, like in terms of anime, manga, uh, you mentioned Full Metal Alchemist. Are there any others that you're into? Um, when did you get started watching that stuff, et cetera? Uh, yeah, I did get a little sidetracked there. Sorry about that. Um, so oh, you're fine, man. Um, it's, it's a conversation. It's organic. It's going gonna, it's gonna to veer off. That's the nature of the beast. Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I probably started watching more of it. I mean, I had watched, you know, the, the more prolific stuff. I'd watched Dragon Ball. I'd watched Dragon Ball Z. I'd, I'd watched um, an, uh, an anime called Ronin Warriors that was, that was actually not what it was. It was released over here as an incredibly Americanized version of the original anime. That was probably the first anime I ever watched, and I didn't even know it was an anime because I didn't know what anime was. I just thought, sure. this is a cartoon. I like cartoons. So I watched those, and then I was probably part of the the Naruto boom. I got really into Naruto. It was it's a lot of fun. It's very interesting. It's definitely a gateway anime because I've definitely found better since. Um, for for my Naruto fans out there, there's a lot better anime um, where half of the episode isn't a recap of the previous episode. So you know, I got into stuff like uh, Sword Art Online, Fate, the Fate series. You know, you got your classics like Trigon, Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, you know, the classics, the good stuff. Um, you know, I watch it very sparsely now, though. It takes a lot for me to get pulled in. But so my history with uh, anime, it, it basically, when I was a child in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a show on one of the basic network. There was a show on one of those stations called Superbook. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I It, it might, it, it was going to come out at some point. Might as well do it in the second episode. I, I grew up in a fairly religious home. I am still fairly religious, just in general. Um, but my parents were uh, pretty strict with regard to what I could and could not watch. Um, 
And so there were there were not a lot of shows. It generally had to be educational or uh, something Christian-y uh, in order for me to plug in. And uh, Superbook was a, a, a show about two children and a robot, uh, and then eventually three children and a robot, and eventually just a kid and a robot. Uh, who go back in time and visit the and visit Bible stories? Um, that's that's what the story was of Superbook, and I watched that a lot. But I always thought the art style was really weird because I was used to the more Americanized uh, Disney art style, I guess. And if the eyes were huge, I needed them to be huge in like a specific proportion, so the rest of the face or something. So I didn't watch much of it until probably. Pokemon started becoming a big deal, which by that point I was in like middle school or high school. Uh, and then I would watch, it was a show that was on when I got home from school. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, could, I can't believe I forgot about Pokemon. Yeah, of course. Pokemon it was definitely yeah. a big deal for the anime boom. hundred uh, percent. And then as I got older, it was um, Yu-Gi-Oh was the one, another them trying to recapture the magic of Pokemon to, uh, a much less successful degree, I would say. Uh, you'd be wrong about that one. Would I? Oh man, I don't see. I don't know anything about this, man. I am, I am, I am at sea. But I, I like this movie, so I want to talk about it. But this is the stuff I have to kind of, I have to confront my own ignorance on a lot of this stuff because I just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, like I can, I can tell some of the the film influences uh, as I watch the movie. Like I can tell you've got the cyberpunk thing uh, like i can tell the film references like i can tell like in terms of production design i can tell in terms of like the cyberpunk stuff like i can i can see those influences on this film very clearly but when we start talking about like the actual references of from the japanese side of things i am at sea because i this is not this is not not my nerddom man this is not my my this is not my fandom uh, so I'm I'm learning a lot of this, and and some and I've I've not yet concluded how deep I wish to go with a lot of this. Um, so like I like Miyazaki, I like I like Kurosawa. I almost called him Akira Kurosawa just because his whole name is really fun to say. You know, we we did some stuff about you know Nintendo last episode, which is based and rooted in Japan, but I was never a big video game guy. Uh, now we're doing something based on a manga, which, you know, not a big manga guy. So, but this movie rules and I don't know what else to say about it. I'm kind of showing my hand a little early with regard to what I think about this movie. Um, but it's great. It's a great movie. I'm just going to say it. I like it. Yeah, no, it, it's really good. Which is not, it, it has, it does. Not, it has its flaws for sure. <laughs> well, and we're going to talk about them. Sure. And then I can give you a little bit of the Japanese influences here. Um, the manga influence. Please, um, please. I mean, the, the one of the big ones I think is because I mean I can't really speak to Japanese culture if I don't if I'm not Japanese, right? Um, but you you can see the influences in a lot of Japanese fiction that stems from which is historically appropriate right now um, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, there are a lot of Japanese fictional stories where it's a post-apocalyptic dystopia, or it's the apocalypse is happening. In in the case of Evangelion, um, mm-hmm. you, got, you got post-apocalyptic, and you, there you've got Trigun, and in, in this, in, in Alita, there there are a lot of fictional stories that stem from that. So that's very prevalent here. 
one of the other influences um obviously is you know alita is animated with the with the big eyes uh which is is something that a lot of um anime artists did they, they thought they could show their emotions easier that way um or to make them cuter because japan is all about the cuteness and you know so Os- osama tezuka um who's, who's considered the father of anime uh he he was heavily inspired by disney so i think he, he took a lot of those cute influences and and adapted them to the anime style so you get uh a lot of a lot of those influences in Alita, it's it's very obvious. Um, the very like over the top action is very anime. The fight scenes, the fight scenes feel very anime. And, and yeah, I think those those are the main ones. I mean, it, they they did a good job of adapting the anime while you know giving it some good American influence because, like you said, you, you could see the influences from American cinema. So I think they did a good job integrating the two. All right. So so we we talked last time about world building and the extent to which I enjoy good world building. And this is another movie I noticed almost right away where we could see that really intentional world building. And honestly, in a very similar vein to what we saw in super Mario brothers, because both have this kind of very cyberpunk post-apocalyptic future kind of vibe with it, very in the mold of blade runner and that kind of stuff. And I think one of the reasons it works well in Alita uh, versus maybe not as well in Super Mario Brothers is the familiarity that we had with Super Mario Brothers as content versus Alita Battle or Battle Angel Alita, which is the name of the manga, because American audiences, I, I doubt, would have been as familiar with that as Super Mario Brothers. Most of us, myself included, would not have necessarily had a a frame of reference going in like people would have for Super Mario Brothers. Uh, maybe that's a reason why it worked better uh, here than it does there. I also think that, for the most part, the script is better. Again, there are issues. Again, we're going to get there. Why don't we, however, go ahead and get into the the plot synopsis for this movie, unless you have kind of more you want to say with regard to setup? No. I think we've, I think we've meandered pretty well oh, in that aspect. Boy, howdy. So. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's flip our coin. So we're going to do plot in 60 seconds, uh, which is something that I blatantly stole from another podcast. And uh, from what I understand, they blatantly stole it from another. So that's, you know, great podcasters steal. But basically what we do is we run down the entire plot of the movie that we're discussing in 60 seconds or less. And to decide who's going to do that, we flip a coin. I'm going to flip a coin right now. Brett, call it in the air. Tails. And it is Tails. So you, or no. Yeah, that means you. Ah, that means me. Boo. So I am the one who now has to regale you with the plot of Alita Battle Angel for the second week in a row. Two and oh, baby. I don't like that. For the second week in a row, I've got to tell you the plot of of this movie. And of course, I always get the ones that are really plot heavy. Uh, I'm going to try to find the the through line, though, because, man, this is... Uh, gonna be tough. So why don't you put 60 seconds on the clock? Tell me when oh I have goodness. 30 seconds left and when I have 10 seconds left, so I know when to start wrapping it up. Your your 60 seconds are on the clock. You may begin now. Jason Ito, uh, cyborg repairman slash bounty hunter, finds a cyborg girl in a junkyard. He puts a body on it. It belonged to his daughter. She was murdered by Casper Van Dien. Uh, she becomes obsessed with uh, this sport called 
uh, motorball. And so she decides to become a motorball player. She falls in love stupidly with this guy. She becomes a bounty hunter too. Uh, she's after this guy named Nova. She was a part of the enemy of this big war and she's really good at motorball. She beats everybody and is getting ready to become the prime champion. Um, the Jennifer Connelly's in it too. And she's really good. Mahershala Ali is amazing. He's the bad guy. Uh, so is Jackie Earl Haley. He's uh, in, doing some weird mocap stuff. Uh, she kills a bunch of people. Some other people kill a bunch of people. And at the end, she's like a motorball, getting ready to become the motorball champion and go up to Zalem, which is the city in the clouds where she's going to kill Edward Norton. The end. Hey, you did it with three seconds remaining. Congratulations. Man, what a weird movie to try to talk about. That's anime for you. All right. So now that the plot is out of the way, uh, let's get to uh, this movie. So this movie was originally developed by uh, one Mr. James Cameron, uh, and it was originally something he was planning to direct, uh, but because he had a previous commitment to the Avatar sequels, those movies that may never we may never see because Fox has purchased been purchased by Disney, uh, he passed directing duties to Robert. But you know Robert Rodriguez known. And honestly, he's kind of the perfect guy for this movie. This is his first PG-13 movie. Most of the movies that he has made prior to this have fallen into one of categories. Either super violent rated R fare or CGI heavy PG kids movies like Spy Kids or Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Like those are the two modes that he exists in. And for whatever reason, Alita Battle Angel kind of falls in this really perfect middle ground somewhere between those two worlds that kind of makes him the perfect choice for this movie. But yeah, this is the first time that Rodriguez and Cameron had ever collaborated on a project. And I find it interesting that this is something that kind of plays into the wheelhouses. On the one hand, you have the the technology stuff that Cameron really loves and delves into, but also really kind of plays in Rodriguez's wheelhouse of you know, the high-octane action. Yeah, I would agree. I get a lot of the same... I can see in the action sequences a lot of his influences from the El Mariachi series or Sin City. Uh, So, yeah, I definitely definitely agree there. But you can also definitely see why Cameron would be attracted to something like this. I mean, this is the guy who executive-produced the show Dark Angel in the early 2000s, which is the reason that we have Jessica Alba um, this is the guy who did Terminator, uh, the guy who did The Abyss. Like, he loves this kind of sci-fi stuff, too. So you definitely, this these guys seem like the perfect synthesis of, of creative minds that you want on a project like this. And, and they really give it their all. And it's, it's a well-directed film. And the technology, which is uh, kind of Cameron's stock and trade, looks gorgeous. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of really great cinematography here um there's there's a lot of really beautiful shots and and a lot of it is cg which is something that astounded me is how well the cg is in this movie yeah i mean a lot of any actor that has any sort of cyborg element to their um costume at all is essentially doing a mocap they all manage to come across as fully realized performances which is a good synthesis of a good synthesis of technology and performance, which we don't often see. I think we're finally getting to a point where this mocap thing is working. 
Uh, now, if only someone like Robert Zemeckis can learn to use it properly, then I think we'll be in good shape. He of the cursed mocap performance movies, uh, Beowulf, uh, Polar Express, um, Welcome to Marwen. Uh, there's another one in there that I'm forgetting for some reason. Oh, um, Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. That's the one. Yep, 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 yep. You're right. Uh, but yeah, it, it, but I think Cameron's commitment to technology is part of what makes that work so well. Because technology, I mean, Cam, every, almost every movie that Cameron comes out somehow in, in the film world is, is somehow technologically innovative. So that I mean, the man deserves a lot of credit for that. Let me, let me, I liked it a lot. Let me, I don't know. Let me tell you what I did like about the action sequences, since that's kind of what we were talking about. They're all incredibly clear. It's very easy to see what's going on in terms of the choreography and how well lit they are, uh, because very often fight scenes tend to be kind of muddy, uh, but these are, are very clear. A lot of them are done in wide shots, so you can kind of see the action that's taking place. Everything makes sense within, in terms of space. They're avoiding a lot of mistakes that I think a lot of action filmmakers tend to make. Um, in, in, in these action sequences, which is part of why I thought they were so great, um, is they're not overly dark. Uh, they're not a lot of rapid, quick cuts, so you can't really tell what's going on. Like, I just recently rewatched all of Christopher Nolan's films, and those Batman films, as good as they are, the action is so muddy and so muddled, you can't see what's going on. Compared to this, this is a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that um, for the action, uh, absolutely. Uh, something I also really liked in terms of uh, like subverting expectations is they they really do that a lot um, in this movie. Like the the love story through line with Alita and Hugo, it's 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 tropey, but it's not. It's done in an interesting way. And I, whereas like, I would say the love story element is probably one of the weakest parts of this film for me. Sure. I mean, I, I get that. Um, but you, you get things like the the meet cute with a murder robot. Like you, you get, you know, they use a dog to meet, but it's, you know, there's a murder robot involved. Sure. Or, I love a murder um, robot. Sure, who doesn't? Right. Uh, and you, you, you get, you know, the end. You know, you think, oh, she saved him. Oh, of course she did. You know, uh-huh. he's he's gonna have a cyborg body now, and he's they're gonna live happily ever after in the subsequent sequels. And it turns out, no, he's he's dead. Yeah, because while his body might have survived the fall, uh, that head gonna crack like an egg on pavement. Right, and and we'll uh, we'll get into that later at the end when we talk about where this series would have went. Sure. Uh, that he 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 stays dead. Um, through the rest of the story, they don't try to resurrect him. He didn't survive the fall miraculously. Uh, you know, I, maybe they would have changed that in the movies, but I, you know, in the original story, he didn't survive. He did. He he's dead. dead. I think if he would show up in in future films, it would be as a flashback or as a a ghostly apparition or something. I don't <laughs> think they would have actually brought that actor back. At least I would hope not, because I was not the biggest fan of that particular actor. I mean, I thought he was fine acting-wise. He's just kind of one note, I guess. You know? what I had a problem. And maybe that's a script issue. My, yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought his acting was fine. Just, uh, he's, he was a very one-note character. Yeah. He's, you know, he's the character that's, you know, he's he's doing the wrong thing, but he falls in love, and now he wants to do the right thing. Yeah, very tropey. Um, 
Yeah, which they, they even have the the super tropey line that's in almost every movie where there's a main character that that falls in love with somebody that isn't human. Uh, but like, we're, you're the most human person I've ever known. Mm-hmm. That's that's. I rolled my eyes real hard. It, at that it real dumb. Yes. It real real dumb. And I mean, as as much as the action and and the different elements of this film really work, the script kind of to harken back to our Mario conversation last week, the script is not great, but all the other elements are working in its favor as opposed to last week where I think they were working against the script and, and the, the issues were really as a result. This, I don't think we have this. I don't think we have a lot of those problems. I mean, this is not for in terms of what I can find, not nearly as troubled a production as super Mario brothers was, but then again, what movie is going to be? as troubled as Super Mario Brothers was. That was a troubled, troubled movie. To, to say the to least. To say the yeah. least. Um, can we talk for a second about how unbelievably stacked this cast is? Oh, yeah. With, with a couple of them going uncredited. Two two very big names go uncredited in this three, movie. It's kind of a stack. Three very three? big names. Yes. Who's the third? We got Michelle Rodriguez. Yep. We, we got Edward Norton. Who's the third? Jai one? Courtney. Really? Yeah, he is. There's there's a shot when they're at the first motorball game and they're like, well, who's who's the favorite to be uh, final champion? And they're like, oh, that one guy. And you pass him. And the guy that they're talking about is Jai Courtney. And that's it. That's all he does. But Robert Rodriguez called him. And this is how you kind of know this was supposed to be a franchise is because you've got casting of three very big names, Michelle Rodriguez, Jai Courtney and Edward Norton basically doing it for the next film in the franchise. Rodriguez basically calls them up and says, Hey, I, I, I got a tiny something. It looks really small on paper, but if this thing catches and we end up doing, I'm going to need someone that can pull it off in the next one. Are you available? And they all said, yes. Like of those roles, Rodriguez probably has the most to do. Norton doesn't even say a word. He literally just shows up on screen and looks menacing three times. And Courtney's got a line as he crawls out of a mech suit. Rodriguez actually has something of a character and a few lines, but that's about it. Yeah, which I I honestly didn't even realize it was her voice until her very last line. Mm -hmm. So, and and you don't, and the same with Edward Norton. I didn't realize it was Edward Norton until he takes those goofy-looking little eyeball glasses off. Oh, I mean, I, I was a, I, I've been an Ed Norton fan since Primal Fear, so I, I knew I was looking at Ed Norton. But, like, the first time they show that kind of squiggly image of Nova, I'm like, Edward Norton? Really? <laughs> Just because, again, it doesn't make sense. But but again, that's how you kind of know they were angling for a franchise with this thing. Even Casper Van Dien, who's not a big name, but is a big enough star that you recognize him. He plays the the guy who kills Ito's daughter, Alita. But he's only in this movie for a glorified flashback. You you have to imagine that Rodriguez was hoping to bring him back too at some point. And, and he's got a credited role. Um, the actors are the Hunt Warriors. Uh, a lot of them are basically just kind of given a brief introduction. They feel like they're going to be unpacked later. The fact that so much of this movie is exposition, not in an exposition dumpy way, but in a way that basically suggests we're setting this up because it's going to be important. Maybe not in this movie, but it definitely in the next couple that we're going to do. Like you can tell this movie's laying a lot of groundwork 
because they're ultimately wanting to make a franchise out of this thing. Right, which I I think that is a a good opportunity to transition into that conversation right. is Hollywood's Hollywood's insistence in in this post MCU world about wanting to build a franchise before it even starts. Well, and yeah, and that's that's really what the MCU I think is guilty of. Before that, they would happen more or less organically. Like if a movie hit and people liked it, they'd go back to the director and say, hey, do you have anything for a sequel? Sometimes, the, and, and we start to see when superhero movies start becoming a thing, actors are getting signed for two or three movies, sometimes more, sometimes less. But really, Marvel is kind of the instigator of this in that they there's a, a, a tagline at the end of Iron Man where Nick Fury shows up and says, I want to talk to you about the Avengers initiative. And everyone goes nuts. But basically, Hollywood sits on their thumbs for another four years until Avengers comes out. Because Avengers is the as to whether or not this model can work. And when Avengers becomes the biggest thing ever, then Hollywood decides to throw all its eggs in on the franchise, but on on the, the shared universe franchise model. But because they're all so late catching up, it's this model of putting the cart before the horse and creating a franchise before you've got an interesting premise for a first movie. You're just trying to cram as much into those early ones as possible. And at the end, you're like, okay, well, you've teased a movie I really would much rather see, but why couldn't you have just made that movie this movie? Why did I need this movie to get me to a movie I'd much rather be seeing? Because this movie sucks. And if I have to give you another movie based on this movie, I'm not going to do it. Which is why we have such a dearth of failed franchise starters after 2008, because Iron Man is really the one that gets the ball rolling on this thing, on this trend. Yeah, which which is a shame in, in a lot of instances, because for that reason, like they, they, they set up this movie that we're never going to see. Well, I, I wanted I want to see that movie. Give me that movie now. Right. But but then you've got to set up the next one. So the one that you get is never really as satisfying as you want it to be. Uh, like the the one that I think of the most are the 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 two immediate sequels to the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, um, because the second movie is liter- literally just exists to to set up the third movie. And I I I thought that movie was boring as sin until you get to the end of that movie and Barbosa shows back up, and I'm like, that's what this movie's been missing this whole time. He's back for the third one. Great, can't wait to see it. I see the third one, and I'm like, why did I even bother with that? Yeah. And it's just, they don't realize that, you know, the MCU happened mostly organically at the beginning. Correct. But you've also got a single authorial voice behind it in the producer of Kevin Feige, who knew more or less his way around both Marvel Comics and superhero movies to know well enough what he was doing when he started to weave these pieces together. Right. And that's really what they're failing to see. They're they're just wanting to cash in on the popularity of franchises. Every everybody wants their own franchise. Everybody wants their own Avengers. Yeah. And they're not every studio and every actor, because those Marvel movie actors make so much money and will until the end of time. Robert Downey Jr. will never not be a millionaire again. His kids are yeah. set for life. Right. He he gets to do whatever he wants. Sometimes that's do little, and we're all very upset about it. And sometimes it's the judge, and we're all very upset about it. Right. So, so yeah, I, I understand it. I understand 
wanting to live in the world of franchises. I understand how lucrative that is. I understand people want to do it. But we as an audience are just perpetually let down by your failed attempts to do so. Right. And, and But I, I, we should not be too harsh because that's the reason we have this podcast. Uh, is people, well, sure. people try, I mean, it's the reason there are enough films for us to be able to do this podcast and to be able to do it for several years to come if we so desire. And it doesn't seem like Hollywood's ever going to stop. I mean, I mean, we got an attempt at a, at a Hanna-Barbera cinematic shared universe in Scoob earlier this year, which is a movie we may not talk about on this podcast at some point. Who knows? I mean, we probably will. Look, we're, we gotta, we gotta tick all the boxes in these early episodes, right? right. You, know, you gotta hit all the genres. You gotta hit the genres. We got video games. We're doing anime. We're gonna hit TV shows next week. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, you know, you're gonna do, you gotta do horror, comic books, comic books, Those failed comic book adaptations. Yeah. So and it, it, cartoons, cartoons are on there, which is Scoob kind of hits a couple, right? right? Scoob hits maybe a little superhero, maybe a little TV show. Yeah. You know, it checks a few. It does, for sure. It is very, very, very the tiniest bit horror adjacent, but not really. Not really. But sort of. It's it's um, as spooky as Hanna Barbera is willing to get. It's spooky, you know. I mean, Spook. Scoob is not Scooby Doo. The property is right. Scoob is so, Scoob's a weird movie. I I kind of want us to talk about Scoob because it's it's weird. It's it's supremely weird. I watched it. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. It's yet, no. so weird. It 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 needs to be talked about either by us or someone. I'm sure there's a podcast out there that's discussed Scoob, but maybe I'll go look for that. Uh, in the in the off chance that Scoob does get a sequel, but maybe let's let's pause for the cause because I I addressed at the beginning of this episode how you might be thinking it's too early for us to be discussing Alita because this movie just came out last year. It's really kind of too soon to say that it's never going to get a sequel, and I have my reasons for thinking it's never going to get a sequel. One of those is the box office. This movie cost about a hundred million dollars to make only grossed about 400 million which is not the kind of multiplier that you're really looking for. First of all, that's an insane gross and a good return on their money, but you release a blockbuster like this and you're expecting a lot more bang. The second thing, the second reason I don't think this is likely to really get a se- the sequel that it I think it deserves is the fact that last year after this movie came out uh, a little company called the Walt Disney Company purchased a little company called 20th Century Fox, or at least their film division. Uh, so Alita is now a Disney princess, but Alita Battle Angel doesn't really fit in with Disney's overall brand and aesthetic. So the likelihood, I think, of us getting a sequel to Alita in a Fox's owned by Disney world are pretty slim if I'm being really honest. So I think it's fairly safe to say that we are not going to get a sequel to Alita Battle Angel. I think that's unfortunate. I think this is a good movie, despite the issues that I have with it, despite the fact that I think the ending is very weak with the time jump and the setup with no payoff in that final shot. Um, The love element, I think, is bad. It's a fun movie. It's a lot of fun, good action. I think it deserves a sequel. Would like to see one. Uh, Don't think it's going to get one. Because for, for those reasons. However, let me say this. If we're wrong, if any time we cover one of these movies and it turns out we're wrong and it is going to get a sequel, let this be my solemn vow to you, our audience. We will discuss that sequel on this podcast. 
and every subsequent sequel that comes out after it. That is my pledge to you, our audience. So basically, this is my way of saying, hey, if the Alita movies come out, we'll talk about them. So I think that's fair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, we're not perfect. No. We don't know. We're making we're making an educated guess. Correct. I Now, granted, would we be covering it if we didn't think that that it was just in no way going to get a sequel? No, we wouldn't. I don't think this is going to get a sequel. Do I want it to get a sequel? Yes. Do I secretly hope it gets a sequel so I get to talk about it on this podcast? Yes. But I don't think it's going to happen, sadly. Brett, do you think this is sequel worthy? Oh, 100%. I, I'm, I'm 100% on board with you that... I, I I want it to get a sequel. I want to see a sequel. I want to see how they adapt um, where the story goes. And I, but I, you know, I also don't think it will get one for the same reasons you do on top of the fact that 2020 is hell year and development of movies is no going nowhere. And the Hollywood and cinema business in general is going to be in a state of decline for years to come, and they're not going to be taking risks at all. On We're going to be getting probably a lot more franchise movies. Yeah, A lot more franchise so movies coming down the pipeline. Uh, you know, to play devil's advocate, though, maybe maybe they do. Maybe they're like, hey, we made this one movie. It turned a profit. Maybe there's an audience for a sequel. Let's do that. It's because it's, you know, it's an established, established, quote unquote, property. You know, it, it turned a profit. Let's, let's, Let's make another one. Let's see what happens. But who knows? I hope it happens, though. I really do. Sure. Yeah. No, again, totally do as well. Um, Let me talk a little bit about the box office for this movie. Um, Because uh, so Alita opens at number one on the weekend of February 15th, 2019, was, as I recall, the first major studio release of 2019. The number two movie had been one. Number one, the week before, a sequel to a big Hollywood movie that was very much anticipated, and now everyone kind of forgets that it came out, uh, The Lego Movie 2, the second part. Uh, Number three was a new movie this week um, called Isn't It Romantic? Uh, I think that was that uh, Rebel Wilson movie where she's in a rom-com, kind of meta. Uh, Oh, God, that movie looked terrible. Yeah, I didn't see it. It came in number three, earned $14 Uh, its first weekend. Uh, Alita, by the way, uh, 28.5 million its opening weekend. So pretty good for February, but overall not like the, the numbers that they were hoping for. Uh, number four had been number two the previous week, uh, a weird pseudo sequel to a Nancy Myers film from the 90s, What What Men Want, starring Taraji P. Henson and Tracy Morgan. Uh, and then another new movie uh, from uh, a sequel in a, uh, to a film you really love, uh, the sequel I did not think was as strong as the original. Happy Death Day to you. Was, oh, yes. was number five, yes. new that week. So um, a pretty interesting slate of movies there um, in that you've got a couple of sequels, uh, a major franchise player, and uh, a weird rom-com that actually somehow does well. Uh, Lead of Battle Angel currently has a tomato meter score of 61%. Uh, that's the top critic score. Uh, 92% audience score. I don't usually put much stock in those, but that's high. Uh, The Metacritic score of 53. uh, The Metacritic user score of 8.6. So audiences really seem to love this movie more than critics do, but critics are generally favorable to it. 
Uh, and then um, the average star rating out of five on Letterboxd is a 3.2. So generally pretty favorable um, by all accounts. A movie that I certainly enjoy. If I had to rank it out of five stars, I would give it a solid four. I I would also probably give it a four. Uh, it, so real, real good. it real, real good. Uh, I like it. I want to see another one. But uh, yeah, I don't think we will. Do I hope to be proven wrong? Yes. Do I think I will be? No. So, Brett, what was going? What was likely to be in store for us in future movies of this franchise that will now likely never get made? Well, okay. So, in in the original manga, after after uh, after Hugo dies and she uh, goes off to uh, become a motorball champion, which her her final. Um, her final piece of pieces of armor in that last scene are perfectly accurate to the manga. So appreciate that to them. She, she becomes a uh, mortarball champion. Um, she's also incredibly depressed by the loss of Hugo and just decides to leave. Um, because the whole Zalem thing that's in the movie about like, people can go up there if you're champion and whatever. Um, that is, that is not a thing in the manga. Uh, it even has a different name. Uh, there, there's no, there's no separation of class. That's, that's all, that was all a thing, uh, in the movie, but she, she does, she does start to get her memories back. She eventually becomes full, you know, completely remembers who she was just like in the movie. Uh, she, so she eventually, you know, just like I said, becomes super depressed and just decides to leave the city. Uh Um, she becomes a, a bounty hunter uh out in the uh what what they call them in the movie the the outer lands i think and she and she eventually figures out like the nova being a part of the like her origin story is is not really in the first manga the first part of the manga uh-huh. uh her hunt for nova comes later and it man there's a whole lot of convoluted anime stuff that happens and and in true anime fashion, they tell the story one way, and then another manga series came out that retconned it and told it in a different way. Or that's so, comics for you. Yeah, that's comics in general, not just right. manga. See, there's a lot there. There's there's a whole lot of stuff. She befriends um, some some new people, and is it was surprising reading about the manga how how honestly close, at least to major story beats. Uh, this movie stuck to the manga. I was generally impressed. Uh, the biggest change being, funnily enough, that Alita is named after Dr. Ito's cat, not his daughter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's uh, weird. Okay. Well, because I there isn't there isn't a Sharon character. He didn't. I don't think he had a wife. Uh, so interesting. And that, honestly, I could, that's, I, I could be wrong about that. I loved that character because I love Jennifer Connelly and I wish she made more movies. Jennifer Connelly, come back to movies. I love you. Uh, I love you. I love you. Is that awkward yeah, to say? Good. Maybe. I don't care. But she, I do. I mean, she gets she gets dissected at the end of this movie. She so. does. In a, uh, a very uh, disturbing visual image when he opens up that container and it just all her body parts. Like, uh, so blinking at you and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's where it would have went. I I feel like they probably would have adapted that the, you know, she would have probably, you know, went out to the, the desert, the, the, the outer lands and 
befriended some people, became more of a bounty hunter for a little while to try to find her way up to up to Zalem. Um, Which looks like a rejected uh, design for Asgard from the Thor movies, really. A little bit. At least, at least all the images kind of when you're looking up at it. Right, because we never really get to see what it looks like up there. By design, I'm sure. Sure. I, I mean, I imagine that's one of those other things they were setting up. You know, we're not going to show you what Zalem looks like. We're going to do that in the next movie. Right. That's why you got to come back and watch the next one. So, so yeah. I mean, that's a very basic, not very informative uh, <laughs> bit of a bit of where it goes. Um, sort of reading over my notes here to make sure I've covered maybe the big points. Oh, the reason she doesn't become champion is because she's snuck a gun, which they drop a single line, a blink and you miss it line in the first movie about how guns are outlawed in this world. And in the in the in the second part of the manga, she doesn't become champion because she is caught with a gun. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which and and Zapan comes back, by the way. Oh, interesting, because I thought he got his face cut off. Yeah, but he didn't die. My face, my face. I I laughed out loud. So funny. Yeah, His tongue like so, flailing out. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and so yeah, he he comes back. He's like an enforcer for Nova. Um, he helps get her uh, the gun. I think um, Zapan eventually gets attached to a berserker body. Uh, who who kills? Who ends up? Spoilers, killing Doctor Ito. Oh no. Dr. Ito's um, character design might be my favorite with that big old rocket hammer. That thing was awesome. Yeah. He comes back though. Like if she a good a good chunk of the story seems to be that Alita's trying to find a way to resurrect him and that might be possible. He might not be that might not be dead dead. Might dead in a way that most comic book characters are dead. Only right, only right. dead long enough to come back later and make more money. As good an actor as Christoph Waltz is, and I do think he's a very good actor, he seems to be one of those actors who will just take whatever role you offer him, it seems like, um, because he plays a lot of really odd... This is probably my favorite non-Tarantino role that he has played, um, because his obviously his best roles are in Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards, respectively. This is something different than he's played in just about anything else that he's been in. And most of the stuff he's been in outside of Tarantino movies is really bad. Like the James Bond movie Spectre and uh, the Green Hornet movie. Uh, Speaking of stay tuned, we'll definitely be covering that at some point Um, and talking about Christoph Waltz in a bad movie. But like, I just I love Christoph Waltz. I think he's a great actor. Um, And it felt really good to see him in this doing something fun versus um, the the evil German guy he tends to play in everything else they cast him in. Right, which is really all I've really ever seen him in. So it was nice to see him not being, you know, somebody you hate with a fiery passion. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any any final thoughts on Alita Battle Angel before we before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I, I do hope it gets a sequel. I, I definitely enjoyed the movie. A lot of the action scenes are great. Uh, I love I love the I love the fight scene in the bar. By the way, I didn't get to mention that the fight scene. Oh, that was really bar. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the action scenes uh, are good in this movie. They are. Uh, and and shout out to McTeague and his Hellhounds. You're my favorite character in this movie. Jeff Fahey, baby. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah. I really, really hope we get a sequel. But if not, you know. Hey, either way, 
uh, we've either A, talked about it, or B, will talk about it when it comes out. So that is my yes. solemn promise to you. Uh, well, that is all for Alita Battle Angel. Hey, if you are just disappointed that we missed something, uh, let us know. Uh, go ahead and uh, hit us up on social media. Uh, we can be found on Twitter and uh, no, just Twitter at fail the number two, because there's two of us franchise fail to franchise, or you can shoot us an email at failure to franchise. That's again, failure, the number two franchise at gmail.com. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. We may, if you send us uh, an email, we may even read it here on the show and give you all the credit you deserve. Uh, I can personally be found on social media uh, at Chewy Walrus, uh, both on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Brett, where can we find you? Um, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd, also at Gunslinger Fire, G-U-N-S-L-I-N-G-E-R-F-I-R-E. All right. And uh, what are we covering next week, Brett? You said something about a TV show? Yeah, uh, next week we're going to do 2017's uh, movie adaptation of the wonderful beach television show Baywatch. Baywatch, a show I never was allowed to watch because of the aforementioned religious upbringing. So it should be fun. Looking forward to it. I'm Stephen Foxworthy for Brett Wright. Until next time, hashtag normalize anime.